Well, as leaders, take a step back and look at your sales enablement and training. How much is it on product and how much is on the buyer? Can, can you be a little more prescriptive on the different personas you sell to? Can you, can you do our sessions on what their job, the, the breadth of their job, how they're measured, how they're bonus? Like, can you show them research that they're looking at to get through the problems that they have? Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we have a special guest, Mark Roberge, with us, and he's going to talk about multiplying success with sales career growth. Um, by way of introduction, Mark was the CRO of HubSpot. Uh, he's now a lecturer at Harvard Business School, and uh, he's an MD of Stage Two Capital, a venture capital fund. So a lot of a lot of balls in the air for Mark. Um, he's also the best-selling author, and it's an award-winning book, The Sales Acceleration Formula: Using Data, Technology, and Inbound Selling to Go from Zero to One Million. Um, and he was named one of Forbes' top 30 social sellers in the world. Uh, he also won the Salesperson of the Year Award at the MIT Sales Conference in 2010. Uh, so a lot of, lot of resume stuff there, Mark. That's fantastic. Welcome, on, welcome to the show. Glad, really glad to have you here. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here. So to jump right into it, um, you were the first salesperson at HubSpot. And uh, that's obviously a large public company now. And you, you, by the time you left there, you were running a team of, of over 500 sales reps. So safe to say, you know a lot about career growth. Um, what were some of your secrets for personal development? And, you know, talk about career management. I think, you know, how, how do you think field salespeople should approach the strategy of growing their career? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I think of, a lot of this is applicable to field sellers. It's, it's pretty applicable to almost any person in a sales role. Um, it's so easy to get caught up. I mean, for the first six months, I was chasing quota just like a lot of the people on the, on the, on the call. For the next year, I was hiring and managing a team uh, like a lot of people on the call. And it's just like you, you feel like you have no extra time. And you've got to be so disciplined around personal development time. Um, so I was certainly working like long hours. It was a startup, right? So you're signing up to do that. But I, I dedicated 5% a week to personal development. Um, I read all the sales books out there. I read, I read a lot of blogs. Um, I grabbed a cup of coffee with a different seller. Um, that last one was probably the biggest impact for me. Um, I probably, for the first half year, had a coffee a week with a different sales leader. And I was able to step back from that experience, you know, having asked them like, how do you think about scale? How, how do you think about hiring someone? How do you think about compensation? How do you do training? Um, I probably really identified with like five to 10 of them that I wanted to spend more time with. And so that was a, that, looking back on the, on the 10 year run there, that was a huge driver of my own personal development was I had organized a peer group of people outside of my company um, that were going through extremely similar challenges and thinking about the world in a similar way. And we, I organized a quarterly dinner with them. 
and we we showed up at dinner. We we had a cocktail. We we caught up, and then we went around the table and talked about a problem we were having in our job. And then we went back around and worked on everyone's problem for twenty minutes each. And this was just a group of folks I became really close with. I trusted. They they weren't within my company, so they weren't like politically attached to anything. And I learned a ton about sales and sales leadership from that group. And so like that could be replicated whether, you know, whether you're in field sales or inside sales, whether you're in an SDR or customer success or marketing or whatever, I think it's particularly helpful within sales. Um, and especially if you do it within, if you're attached to a particular vertical domain buyer, if you can find similar folks, you'd learn a ton. So that, that was the first one. The second one was I eventually found a mentor. Um, that came through many years of coffees, um, but five, probably three years and found a great mentor. And the key is like, they need to be at a stage in their career where they want to give back. You need to be at a stage in your role where you want to listen. And there needs to be chemistry there in terms of like, what, you know, how they coach and how you want to be coached. I spent four hours a month with my mentor for like three years. And that was really critical for me to be able to see what's next ahead for me in my growth. And how, how did you structure that? Was it, you know, four one hour meetings on a weekly basis? Was it two, two hour meetings? Four hours once, once a month. Okay. And I think like that's circumstantial on what you're trying to do. I think if you're, if you're early in learning to sell, um, more frequent, the better, smaller nuggets and frequent, whether it's a sales coach or a mentor. Uh, for me, I was in a, at that time, like a larger strategic, like global, global selling role that had to be like, close the door. Like, let's get into some stuff. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's circumstantial, but that's what we're digging into. The final piece, which is like not talked about enough and has stigma associated. I've been in therapy for 10 years and like the trigger for it was work. Um, now I've used it for, for my entire, every aspect of my life. Most of it has been used for work though. And most of it is used for sales. And I think it's crazy that we don't do this more often. Um, you know, I guess it depends on your healthcare plan, but like, um, I don't think I could have gotten through it and I made much better decisions just by having like professional psychological help to be able to bounce situations off. Mm -hmm. um, I think we all know, field sellers know how much psychology is actually in sales and also how much like psychology is just in dealing with the job, the grind, dealing with internally and externally. And I've grown so much as a seller and sales leader through that experience. So, you know, in an abstract standpoint, honestly, those were the three biggest inputs to that drove my career growth. Well, fantastic to understand that and get, get your insights there. Um, what about when, uh, when a rep is thinking about taking the steps towards a leadership path in their career? How should the field sales reps listening today know when and if they should make the move towards uh, not just carrying a bag, but managing a team of people that are carrying a bag? Sure. Yeah, I think, I think all too often people associate that as the only path to growth. And we see a lot of great sellers who, when you double click into things, aren't that motivated to be a manager, but they feel obligated. And so, I, you know, hopefully we can, we can sort of like 
correct that ability. And first off, I, I just disassociate that stigma. Um, most companies I work with, and I work with some tech, some non-tech, some big, some small. Most companies I work with, once they've hit a certain growth rhythm, the highest paying person at the company is the top sales, salesperson. Not the CEO, not the head of sales, not the head of R&D, not the head scientist. It's the top this, That is certainly the case at, uh, at our company. Yeah, it's, it's very typical. It was the case of HubSpot. And so, like... Um, you know, don't don't necessarily like, don't feel like you've got to grow into management first off to grow. Um, you know, there's a many different ways to grow in sales in terms of taking on more complex selling situations. Um, you know, the strategic value you bring in your sales role to the overall company, um, because when you look at the frontline role of selling and then you think about the switch to managing. I believe it's the biggest difference and leap relative to any other functions, engineering, marketing, finance, et cetera. And we've seen there's tremendous data out there that shows that most companies promote their number one rep to manager. And um, there isn't a correlation between number one rep performance and management performance. In fact, like there's, there's not an inverse correlation, but that's like a pothole that often there's the better manager promotion would have been someone that maybe was third or fourth on the team, not necessarily the number one. And so we've, you got to understand that the role you suddenly move from this role where you control your own destiny, that you wake up in the morning or in the month of the quarter and you decide how much money you make, you decide how much success you have. When you get down, you just, you can self motivate and you move to a world where you have to do everything through someone else. You just, Everything you, you know, you lose that control. It's all about motivating other folks. So the role of a manager is all about hiring and coaching. And some people love that. Like some people love the thrill of going after the right hire. And some people love the thrill of sitting down with someone who's struggling or new to a job and day after day, week after week, developing them, coaching them through and watching them succeed. And really getting to know the person on a personal level to understand their unique goals and use that to motivate them. For some people, that's inspiring. For other people, it feels like daycare. You know, so it's just, uh, just, just be really thoughtful around why you're doing this. Do you truly want to develop a new skill? Do you really enjoy being a coach, mentor, great hirer, you know, holding people accountable? Do you enjoy that? Or do you just like chasing the deal and making lots of money? Because like a lot of a lot of the best reps take a little, um, sometimes can take a little bit of a financial step back to make that path in a manager, mm-hmm. but it does it does lead into VP and director and really fun stuff. And you could even get to COO and CEO. Uh, so it just depends what path. So that that's the only thing I'd say there is just an appreciation that this isn't this is isn't the only way to grow. You don't feel pressure to, but if you're gonna do it, appreciate significant differences in your debt day and week and significant differences in how you're going to apply your skills to the job. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've seen that so many times in my career where, you know, and I, I think people don't realize to it's, it's one of those rare jobs where, you know, being, being great at the job that you're managing doesn't mean you'll be a great manager of people doing that job. And the skill sets really just don't overlap all that much. I mean, there's some more overlap, right? If you're great at sales, 
you're going to be better at being a sales manager than than the average person off the street, obviously. But like, there's just it's a very different skill set, like you said, and 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 so I think it's a uh, it's it's uh, you know not it doesn't it doesn't you know, in many other career paths it works that way, but here it really doesn't. Yeah, and let's just stay there for one second, Steve, because there, there's a natural like follow on, which is well, what what the leaders on the on the phone on the on the video can say, well, who do I promote if I don't promote my top seller? I can't promote my worst seller, and I think the salespeople can be like, well, you know, how do I know if I'm have these skills? I think the answer to both is um, so many opportunities within organizations to create a transitional time between those two roles as a sales leader to test whether this candidate's going to do the job well. And as a salesperson to understand whether or not I like the job. And so for example, at HubSpot, we, we took all of our folks who said they want to be a manager. We had three stages they had to go through. The first stage was just hit, hit quota two quarters in a row. You know, like you don't have to be the best rep, but you have to at least do the job mm-hmm. and then pass sort of a certification that shows that you can, you do a very good job at each stage of the process. Because there are some reps that just crush one stage and are poor at the others. They're not going to be good managers. They're not going to be able to like overcome weaknesses in an area that they're poor themselves. So I need to be able to hit goal and I need to have a broad, like really nice breadth of skills on the entire sales process. So I can coach people depending on their efficiency. Then we put them into a leadership program where they did a weekly reading on leadership skills like giving negative feedback, driving morale, and in conflict and role played certain situations they'd see in the job so they can see what this is all about. And then finally, and I think this is the most important part is like we set up a test period where they literally took the next hire and hired the person and coached them while managing their quota. Hmm. You know, so it's not, it's not like they were a team lead. I don't like the whole permanent team lead thing, half quota, half management, just like one person. Okay. And, and you go through the whole process of course, you're, the leader's there to mentor you, to make sure you don't make a mistake on the hire, to make sure they're coaching you. But it, it's a much safer place for you to see how these skills are applied and what it's like. And it's not that bad of a deal to just say, oh, it's not for me and go back. It's just one person. We can move them to a different team. And if you, may, if you made a mistake, it's like you didn't blow it. You know, hopefully you learn from it. And when you actually have your first five, six, eight-person team, you've learned from that skill. So that, that's an opportunity for us to, you know, as leaders, it's how we can develop leaders and as potential leaders is how we can grow into the job. Fantastic strategy there. I, I love it. Um, everyone's talking right now about how buyers are more empowered and the internet is changing everything. I mean, I, I talk to field salespeople all day, you know, because of what, what I do, but um, I, I hear this a lot, you know, that, that is, is this true? And, what are the implications there for, for sellers? Yeah, I definitely think so. I'd love to hear your opinion as well and whether this resonates with you. I've studied it quite a bit. I've experienced it quite a bit. Um, I think it has. I mean, the data suggests it, and there, you probably, you're bored of hearing all the stats, you know. But it's, it's not that hard to go back 20 years to the days before the internet and picture the world. As a buyer, we had to go talk to sellers to figure out what products would work for us. Um, we had to go to the conferences. We had to go to the trade magazines. We had to set, do, you know, do RFPs and set up 
meetings and we had to talk to the seller. And a lot of that requirement's gone. You know, like that's what the internet's done is like a simple Google search or even if we know the top vendors, we know what they do, we know their customers, we can, we can get a direct line to their customers, we can see online often what their customers are saying, we can see videos of their products, sometimes we can try the product depending on what we're selling. Uh, we can even place orders depending on you know, like how simple and commoditized it is. So it really, it really begs the question like, do we need sales anymore? And it really begs, like, it really alters the buyer journey, which needs to impact the sales process. And in, in, in my opinion, in my observation, um, oftentimes buyer behavior changes and sellers are slow to adapt. But I think that's, that's what's happened here. So, so essentially, like, as sellers before the internet, we had a lot of power. We could, you know, before telling people about our products, we could force them to tell us about their budget. Um, you know, we could force them to get a meeting with their executive. And that, that leverage is gone. Right? Like as sellers now, we, we have to like sell the buyer on giving us their time because they don't need to go through us anymore. And so I think that has a pretty profound impact on how we, we sell and how we enable ourselves. And I think the, the quick like, cliff note on it from my perspective is as a seller, how much time have you spent educating yourself on your product that you sell versus your buyer? Because I feel that most sales training is very deep in product, but is lacking in, in the buyer. And I think most salespeople, as they, they prepare themselves, they, they're really prepared on the product and they just, don't see the world as much through the buyer's lens as they could. And it, it leads to a lot of show up and throw up, <laughs> a lot of sales meetings that are very much the seller talking about the product and not the seller learning about the buyer and empathizing and relating to the buyer, right? So what can we do about that? Well, as leaders, take a step back and look at your sales enablement and training. How much is it on product and how much is it on the buyer? Can, can you be a little more prescriptive on the different personas you sell to? Can you, can you do our sessions on what their job, the, the breadth of their job, how they're measured, how they're bonus? Like, can you show them research that they're looking at to get through the problems that they have? Can you bring buyers in, customers in, have your sellers interview them during the training process to see how they think about issues? Like, they, can you even have your, I mean, at HubSpot, we had our sellers, all of our salespeople use the HubSpot software to set up a blog, a website, landing pages, email campaigns, nurturing campaigns, all using the software just like we we're going to ask our, our customers to do. They felt the whole pain. They, they live the world. They walk in their shoes. So that, those are the types of experiences that we're looking for. And, and, and as you kind of transition into your sales role, It'd be great if you could carve out some percentage of your week, probably like two hours, to just read the stuff online that your, your, your buyers are reading. Like read the blogs that they read. Join the LinkedIn groups that they're a part of. Follow the people in social media that they follow. It'll, you'll quickly, you'll be able to stay abreast with their conversation. 
And within, within a short period of time, you'll get the confidence if you don't already have it to be a part of that conversation, to like answer the questions in the LinkedIn group, to write your own blog articles on the places where they're reading. And that really transcends you into the modern seller. Because now like you'll, you'll be able to better connect with the, the frontline problems that are happening the way they do. And when they come up, you'll be like, oh yeah, I completely agree, this perspective, that perspective. And by the way, I actually wrote a blog article on that that was published in this group. I'll send it to you. And it was an article about me making quota, me closing the sale, my product. It was a really thoughtful article on how to frame thinking about this problem. Like, well, how do you feel as a buyer when you're talking to a salesperson who not only gets right down to like understanding the problem that's keeping you up at night, they've actually written thoughtful stuff about it that changes your perspective and helps you. That's modern selling. Yeah, you're moving yourself from a, an information source to a, a thought leader in your industry. Yeah, and it's like that's the challenger sales kind of like the, I think one of the more popular methodologies today. today and I think the work by CV and the group was phenomenal. I just, uh, I do think the industry misunderstands the challenger sale because they don't get into the details of what methodology is about and they just, they see challenger sale. And like, I just need to challenge my sales, my buyers. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't ask questions anymore. I shouldn't figure out what they need. I should just say, look, look at my product. Look at, this is what we do. This is, you know, let me, let me educate you on this new thing that you should care about. And that's, you know, when you really dive into the research and what it's about, it's, it's about teaching the buyer something they don't already know about their biggest priority. And the predecessor to that is understanding their biggest priority, right? right. So like there, you know, we, we still need to go in and understand the buyer. It's just that once we do and we understand how they're framing or perceiving their problem, we are so thoughtful about their word their world that we can reframe their perspective around something that's actually going to work, which is hopefully aligned with our product value prop um, through that, through that sort of knowledge that we bring to the table. Well, Mark, you're a, you're an investor, you're a venture capitalist, obviously. So you professionally evaluate companies all the time as, as our listeners get, approach to sell for new roles at new companies what are what's some advice you have on how they can determine whether a company that they're thinking about is going to be a good company for them to join up with yeah sure yeah i mean this is a big part of my investment thesis it's something i've studied of companies of all sizes and it's somewhat related to our past question and conversation about the modern buyer is the other thing that the internet has done is it's given, it's given every single buyer a, uh, a megaphone to talk about exceptional um, experiences with, with companies and to talk about terrible experiences with companies. And so, you know, prior to the internet, we, I mean, I'm just thinking about like watching late night television and seeing an infomercial for some workout equipment that for, three easy payments of $49.99 guaranteed me that I'd lose 10 pounds in a month. A lot of people ordered that. And 
a lot of that equipment fell apart the second day I used it. It was crap. And like um, product market fit that at that time was just the infomercial. If it used the right language with the right pricing sent to the right cable television show, people bought, that's all that mattered. It didn't matter that it worked. There's a lot of bad products. I, I remember my mom just cranking away on her thigh master. <laughs> I mean, I remember we got that. It's just like, that's what happened. The same thing in software, the same thing in lots of different spaces. Mm -hmm. And now it's like the first thing someone does when they see that infomercial and they're like, hey, that could work for me. They Google it and they see a one star or a five star rated. Yeah. So it's like, we haven't caught up to that as a, as a business community. Like this is all about customer value creation, especially for sales. You know, like, like before the internet 20 years ago, like, honestly, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't often the best product one. It was the best sales team one. Now, like you need both. And especially if I'm evaluating a company as an investor and for our salespeople on the phone, as you know, a lot of my friends are in field sales are like, Hey, I just got this call. I'm thinking about going into tech. Like, does this sound like a good company? Or I'm thinking about staying in my industry and going to this new company. Like, there's a lot out there on like how I should prepare at the interview, but what should I ask them? How do I know if I'm getting into something that's, that's good? And, and my first questions are all about customer success, customer value creation and customer retention. If it's a retention type situation. So that's, that's where I focus. My energy is like, if you're a subscription business, what, what's your retention rate? Um, if you're not like, what's your, how many customers come back and buy more stuff from you? Um, how do you measure customer value creation and success? Do you do things like net promoter score? Do you have automated ways to see the usage of your product so that you can intervene? And if you find a company that's just crushing that, that's a fun company to go sell at. Versus if you find a company like our one star rating equipment, like you're probably a great seller and you can sell ice to Eskimo, but it's just like not going to make you feel good. And it's going to be like, feel like pushing a boulder up a mountain. Mm -hmm. so that, that's where I, that's where I look very heavily today is like, you know, especially in the entrepreneur community where I come from, if you're thinking about going that path, in that direction, a lot of investors and entrepreneurs focus on top line revenue growth as the only proxy to the overall success of the business. And that needs to be, you know, you, you need to have a foundation around exceptional customer value creation and then move to top line revenue growth. And sometimes yeah. companies use that top line revenue growth as a, you know, a cover up, a bandaid for what's really going on underneath the covers. So that's where I'd focus my questions. If you're thinking about going in that direction. Yeah. I mean, the, the that's a cool thing that the internet has done for us as, as job seekers, you can evaluate what a company, what a company's customers think about them and you can do it quickly and easily. Not to mention, you know, services like Glassdoor, right? I mean, it's amazing the the understanding you can get about what it's like to work for for a company in five minutes on their Glassdoor reviews, right? Like it's, exactly. uh, you know, and, you know, and, and a, as someone who runs a company, I mean, I have no control over those, right? Like, the, you know, any employee can create a profile and say whatever they want about me and, and about the company. And I can't, you know, 
like you know it's it's just it's real right it's 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 straight from the horse's mouth and it's and there's you know the company doesn't control those profiles and so that that can give you an incredible amount of insight into what it's like to be at a company by just going on there and if, if 50 people have said have, have gone on there and a bunch of them have said mediocre things some have said bad things and some have said good things you know you can assume some people are you know gonna lie and say good things even if it's even if it's the worst place ever, but like, <laughs> and some people, and no one's ever going to be hundred percent of people are never going to be happy, but, but you can pretty quickly get a feel for what, what it's like to work somewhere. I think for sure. Transparency is just off the charts. Yeah. Really cool. Um, would you say, uh, it was, so you, you obviously wrote a, you know, a, a very popular book, um, you know, the, the sales acceleration formula. So, would you say in, in, in this book, you talk about sales training and your sales hiring formula. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk a little bit about, you know, what, what your strategies there are and, and how, how they, uh, how, how determinant they are on a company's success and on a sales team's success? Yeah. I mean, um, a lot of people just kept asking me like, how did you build the HubSpot sales team? Mm-hmm. And then someone asked if I could write a book about it. And uh, so I, I did that with the intent of helping, you know, organizations think in, a, in, in this way. And I'm very, you know, humble that so many folks have, you know, come to me across the world and tell me that they use the principles. And, and it's, uh, you know, that's, that's just been, um, um, it's, it's been broader than I thought it would work. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I took the job as a former engineer, turn seller. Um, I have a very sort of machine oriented mindset and framework. And for me, I set a mission on the, on the, the sales department as predictable, scalable revenue growth. And there were four attributes to the machine that I wanted to kind of lean into. One was hire the same successful seller in each case. Two was train them in the same way to to work with a very similar sales process. Three was provide them with same inputs, the same quality and quantity of leads. And four was um, to coach them to, to that process to work those leads toward a successful customer and revenue. And so in each case, um, I challenged the sort of modern approaches to hiring, training, demand gen, and management uh, with Um, one, what the empowered buyer is, some of the stuff we talked about today, and two, the fact that we can be so much more data-driven in our sales teams today um, for two reasons. One, um, inside sales has rapidly grown, and inside sellers are more dependent on CRM systems and technology, which allows you to, to capture all the data you need behind the scenes. Uh, and number two, even for the field sellers, more relevant to this conversation, technology has gotten much better to make it easy for us as we're going from appointment to appointment to capture relevant information for us to you know, uh, progress an opportunity and also information that helps our organization you know, measure things and help us get better. And so we just haven't, you know, thought a lot about how, how that access to data has, can help us to make better hires, make, you know, execute better training programs, 
um, you know, measure demand generation to ensure we get to our quarters goals and, and measure the effectiveness of our managers in coaching and developing our team. And so that was, that was the, the foundational element of the book. And you talk a lot about sales process in the book. How is it better for a salesperson to follow a defined sales process or to create their own? What are the, what are the key uh, concepts when you're putting together a sales process from a team for a team? Sure. Yeah. I mean, first off, it's important to have a process. If you feel like you're sitting back and like, Oh, they're all different. You can't codify what I do. Um, I've actually, I've seen people claim that I've never seen it be true. At the same time, there is this constant debate that I, I have with my, my peers about like the two extremes of having a global sales process that you force everyone to do versus, um, giving complete autonomy to the front line to develop their own process. I feel like you got to walk a line there. Um, cause if you, if you force everyone down a very rigid process, um, you take away all the ability of the salesperson to lean into their own strengths. That could be unique. You know, we, we've seen people who are great activity players, great rapport builders, great consultative coaches, great closers. Um, you need the freedom to be able to lean into that uniqueness to win. Um, at the same time, you don't want them recreating the wheel, right? So the process that you put in place needs to set sort of like high level guides as to like, where are we in this journey? And what are some best practices that I can call upon within this journey um, to use, but it's not like a script rigid base. So, so for me, usually the components um, are just a, a, a few things. One is, first off, starting with a buyer journey. So this gets back to what we were talking about. Are you doing more product or are you doing more buyer? And so a buyer journey is really just like, let's look at, let's not, when we're thinking about sales process, let's not start with the sales process. Let's not start with the call and what do you say and the email and the first meeting and the demo. Let's start with looking at it from the buyer. Like when they wake up in the morning, what are the top problems that they're thinking about? How do they talk about those problems? Which ones are aligned with us and which ones are not? And then when they think they have this particular problem, how do they think about solving it? Major categories. Do they want to buy a product? Do they want to hire a consultant? Do they want to do research internally or devise an internal team? And what are the advantages of our category? And then within our category, if they choose that that's the best for them, who are the top vendors they look at and how do they make that decision? Do they want the cheapest one? The one that's been around the longest, the best brand, the best case studies. What's our unique differentiation, right? So that's the first step is like, how do we think about the buyer's journey? And then our process in sales first and foremost is about figuring out where is the buyer in that journey. Uh, if we happen to be the, uh, most robust solution. Is that what they want? Are they looking for a solution that's going to like drive, you know, employee morale and they want to buy a product and they want the most robust one. It's, it would be good for me to know that before I start pitching them. And that's going to be a pretty easy sale. Or do they just want the cheapest one? Do they have an employee morale issue and they want to hire a consultant? Um, and then lead to like a right cheap purchase. 
that's not aligned with our product, but I can sell them. I just have to reframe them. They're like hiring a consultant and going with the cheap solutions. They're, if I were in their shoes, I think it's the wrong thing. So that, that's the first thing is like a buyer journey, which is usually just one slide of like what the sales process is and that, uh, what, the, what the buyer journey is. And then I have usually have three components to the sales process. One is how do I get the first meeting prospecting? Like, so what, who are good buyers? What do I, how do I research them? And what kind of cadence do I put them through from an email, voicemail, social media contact approach that gets them to engage with me? And then I might have like a discovery call guide, which is just like, as I do discovery on them, what might I ask? It's not a script, but it's just like, how do I break the ice? How do I, what are the, some of the questions I might ask about high level pain? What are some of the questions I might like ask about like how they're thinking about solving it? What are some of the questions I might ask about like how real of a buyer they are and their authority? Again, not a script, but it's a flow that I can take them through. It's a one page I can have on my, on my desk. And then finally, the, the last part is the presentation. And it's not the same presentation every time. It's like tailored to what you find. So in the train, I might have like three to five options that I'm generally going to take them through, depending on what we find. Right, so that, that's an example of a sales process that's not, it at least gives some guides so that salespeople aren't just recreating the wheel, but it also gives them some autonomy to lean into their strengths and to customize and tailor it to their territory or their product or whatever it might be. And how does technology fit into this? What, what are the daily problems that you think technology can can solve for salespeople? Hopefully minimize the time that they're not talking to buyers. Well, it's just like through a lot of ways. Um, number one, you know, as sellers were constantly asked to like do a bunch of administrative stuff in terms of like capturing information for management, technology is doing a great of taking all that work off our table. You know, so it's like, there's, there's can be a huge, what's in it for me for the salesperson when we deploy CRM systems and technology. It, it gives, it helps you to do, be more efficient, spend more time with buyers. It also helps us because um, it makes us more effective at getting in front of the buyers. They get, technology can help us understand like for this buyer, what is the optimal message for me to lead with? Um, for this buyer that's gotten stuck, you know, three weeks into the, flow, what are some proven methods that I've used to awaken them? Right. So, you know, it, it helps take away the administrative task and it helps rapidly learn that, you know, it's difficult to do when there's one rep who's worked like, you know, 40 accounts in the last year, it's hard for that rep to pattern recognize. But if you filter all those learnings into a hundred person team into a CRM system and it can, the system can say, listen, we've seen this situation before and this is what's worked that helps us to get in front of customers more often. Um, well, what I'd like to do is ask a few uh, quick questions with quick answers. Okay. Um, 10 so second round here, okay. Exactly. So what's the number one quality a salesperson should have? Uh, coachability. Do you think salespeople need to be aggressive to succeed? No. What is the one tool that would be the most beneficial to any salesperson? 
That's a tough one. I'd probably say uh, social media. Do you have a top tip for communicating product value? Yeah, I would say um, it's it's all you know, pretty much classic. But it's like it's not about features. It's about not even about benefits. It's tailored to the priorities of the buyer. And what's your best tip for dealing with objections in sales? Start lead with a question. That's proven out in research. It's like you get an objection, ask a question to further clarify. It gives you time to think. And oftentimes the clarification actually leads to a, a definition of the objection that was different than you thought. Outstanding. Well, as an actionable takeaway, take uh, what should the field salespeople listening today do as a first step to get started on uh, the sales acceleration formula? Yeah, I mean, I think we talked a lot about being more focused on the modern buyer and being more data-driven. Might start with the first one. Uh, this weekend, find 10 blogs and LinkedIn groups that your customers and buyers read. Start reading them. Powerful. And uh, Mark, where can listeners read more about your work? How do they reach out to you? Sure, LinkedIn. LinkedIn's fine. Um, you know, I, I publish a lot of my stuff there um, and I try to keep up with messages and invites so you can reach me there. All right, Mark, I'm going to try to summarize what, uh, what, what, you've, what you've talked about today for the people that are in the car, et cetera. Um, so first, in order to start your career growth, dedicate time to personal development. Have a coffee a week with a seller or a sales leader, and then identify which ones that you want to spend more time with. Then you can organize a peer group with that subset of people where you get together and talk about the problems that you're facing and work on finding solutions to your problems with their advice. You can try finding a mentor from, uh, from that group and, and find someone that's actually able to guide you for what's coming ahead in your career. Therapy can also be a great way to develop your career, um, kind of a subset of career coaching almost. And uh, you can find someone that can help you work through the personal and professional problems that you face. Um, is a great link between psychology and sales and, and Mark strongly recommended people check into that. Salespeople don't need to become managers to take a further step in their, in their career path or to get career growth. You want to, they should think about what role really fits them and think about their strengths. Some salespeople would provide far more value to their team through being sellers than, than through managing teams of sellers. Selling has changed with the growth of the internet and, and the buyer's journey has changed as a result. As a seller, how much time have you spent in training yourself on your product versus educating yourself about the buyer that you're selling to? It's really important to know your buyer. Um, you want to know the persona that buyer has. You want to, you can, for when you're training reps, you can, you can bring buyers in and uh, so, you know, kind of off record, maybe current customers, et cetera, that they can, that your reps can talk to and, and ask questions, understand them better. 
Also, you can take the time to read stuff online that your buyers are reading. Read the blogs they listen to, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the blogs that they read the, and follow the social the social media uh, groups they follow, the LinkedIn groups they're in, listen to the podcasts they listen to. The internet has given buyers a megaphone to tell other people about their experiences with companies. And, and so people know who provides bad customer experiences and who, who provides great customer experiences. It's important to work at companies that has great ratings for customers. Um, over time, Mark feels that you'll you'll uh, you'll have a better career path if you use that as a as a as a filter on where you're working. Um, look at customer value creation. Look at their customer retention numbers, and and that will translate into the overall success of the company. But if you're evaluating com a company, um, well, that's one of the first places you can go to see if you want to sell for them. Um, so with sales process, you want to put processes in place that help people achieve best practices, but they shouldn't just be over scripted. Um, the base of a sales process is understanding the buyer's journey. What are the top problems that your buyers are thinking about? Which problems are aligned with us and which problems are not aligned with your solution? What kind of solution are they looking for? Are they looking for the cheapest solution or the, you know, the fastest solution? What kind of buyers are you looking for? And, and you, know, you can map your strengths to the type of buyers that are looking for those strengths. Technology has gotten better um, at helping us measure how we're doing in sales and measure our, our overall effectiveness with our buyers. Well, um, I really appreciate the time, Mark. This has been a fantastic episode of Outside Sales Talk. Awesome, Steve. Thank you. Hopefully that, that was good for your audience. That was fantastic. I really okay. appreciate you taking the time and, and this, is, uh, this is great for these guys. Right. Thanks for the invite. If, uh, if any of our listeners can think of other sales reps that would benefit from learning the skills that, that Mark's talked about today, share the love and forward this on to them. Please leave us a rating on, on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're, you're looking for. Those are really helpful for, for helping us spread the word about, uh, about this resource we're creating here. Take care, everybody. Until next time.